Okay, it's go time. Everyone is looking at me right now, so just play it cool. Stand up straight. You definitely shouldn't have eaten that donut this morning. It's going to show up on the screen to everyone watching at home. Wait, what am I thinking? Don't think about that. Just do what God has called me to do. But what if you mess up? What will people think of you then? What if they hate you? What if they leave this church because of something you said? You don't want to be responsible for that, do you? Yeah. I don't think I can do this. Hello? My name is Holly, and I'm a people pleaser. And this is where you say, hello, Holly, because if you, <laughs> if you don't, then I'm going to think you don't like me, and then I'm going to start to spiral, and then, you know, no, I'm just, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm just teasing, but um, I'm very aware that some of you are already are like, oh my goodness, this message is going to be for me. And then there's some of you who are sitting there and you're like, shoot, I wish my spouse were here. <laughs> because you do not care whatsoever what people think of you. Um, but before you check out and say, this message isn't going to be for me, I want to go a little bit deeper below the surface of my people-pleasing addiction. Because I have learned that the reason, the root behind my people-pleasing ways is because I just want to be accepted. I just want people to like me and approve of me. I want acceptance. And if I sense that someone doesn't, or I'm going to enter in a situation where they might not, then there's this anxiety that rises up within me to the point where I will change what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do in order to gain their approval. And uh, you might not struggle with people-pleasing like me, but I do believe that every single person wants to be accepted. And because of that, you and I will do some pretty crazy things to make sure that we are. Welcome to week four of Whispers, where we are replacing the voice of lies with the voice of truth. And today, there is going to be a battle in the Lord's house. Because... The enemy has you locked in a prison in your mind, and God is going to set you free. He's going to destroy the lies that have you in chains. He's going to reclaim his temple, and he's going to fill it back up with his voice of truth. And so could we pray right now for that freedom to take place? Heavenly Father, I just pray for chains to be broken in our minds. I pray for freedom. I pray for your voice to have more power than any voice that we would ever listen to. Would you set the captives free this morning, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to dive right into God's word this morning, and I'm going to read to you events that led up to Jesus' uh, crucifixion, and I want you to put yourself right there with Jesus. 
as he's being persecuted and as he's being led to the cross, I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine yourself right there. And if you need to, while I read, just close your eyes if it helps you focus. But while I'm reading and reading these verses, I want you to imagine what you're seeing or what you would be feeling or what you would be experiencing if you were right there with him. And I'm going to be jumping around in the scriptures Um, So if you want to follow along, it's going to be up on the screen. And as you do that, as you're trying to imagine what it's like to be there, I want you to ask yourself this question. How would you respond to what's happening? So we're going to begin in Matthew 26, 26, 67. So close your eyes if you need to and just imagine yourself there. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. Pilate asked, So what should I do with Jesus, the one called the Messiah? All the people said, Kill him on a cross. Pilate asked, Why do you want me to kill him? What wrong has he done? But they shouted louder, Kill him on a cross. Pilate saw that there was nothing he could do to make the people change. In fact, it looked as if there would be a riot. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Imagine this is you. Imagine you're next to Jesus. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. After that, they had mocked him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. How would you respond? It's hard to truly know and understand and relate to the physical pain that Jesus endured because hopefully no one in this room has ever experienced anything like that, any, that type of torture or abuse. But what about the rejection? The abandonment? The betrayal? The mockery, the shame, and the ridicule, the public humiliation, and the questioning. We can relate to this. Let me just list a few ways. Your mom or dad left you when you were a young child, and you've always struggled to understand why. It has left you feeling abandoned, and you feel rejected. Or maybe you had a parent that was physically there, but there was an absence of love and attention, and in its place was critique and judgment and pressure, shaming, feeling like you were never good enough. Maybe in your home there was a lot of yelling, and you felt like you were the reason for it all. Maybe it seemed that they loved their work or success, or their drug, or themselves, more than it seemed like they loved you. 
maybe it was being bullied, teased for the way that you look, your shape, your size, your height, the color of your skin, what you like to do for fun. Maybe you were ridiculed, but even to this day, you aren't quite sure why. You just showed up, and people used you as target practice. And you have a message written on your heart because of that that says, it doesn't even really take that much for people to not like me. And you still carry that message with you today. Maybe you experienced ridicule at work at the slightest mistake. Or you experienced rejection from the passive-aggressive silent treatment from a loved one who lets you know that you have missed the mark again. Maybe it's rejection within your own marriage. Your spouse seems distant and disconnected, and you're fighting jealousy of their phone because it seems to be getting more attention than you do. Or maybe it's the kind of rejection that cuts deeper than most. A divorce, a betrayal of trust, an affair, sexual abuse, being separated or cut off from those you love most, and you are still bleeding out from those wounds today. It's hard to relate to the physical pain that Jesus endured, but we know all too well what this kind of pain feels like. The pain of rejection, of not being accepted. And every single time you experience rejection or you revisit that pain in your mind, there's this little voice that whispers, you're not good enough. Not even the people closest to you think you're worth it. Because if you were, they would have been there for you. They wouldn't have treated you this way. They wouldn't have betrayed you. And if they don't even accept you, well, then who will? For some of you, you've been listening to this voice for as far back as you can remember, and it is familiar and recognizable and consistent. Maybe the only consistent thing in your life. And so you swallow it, and you accept it, And you have come to believe the lie, too, that you're not enough, and in order to be accepted, you need to change. And I asked you in the beginning, how would you respond? How would you respond in the face of rejection and when the whispers come? If you're like me, you run to people seeking the rush of their acceptance one day at a time, simply to scratch the itch from Satan, who is constantly whispering in your ear, you're not enough. Or maybe you think acceptance will come if you just become less, you know? Like, you're too much. People don't like that. Tone it down. Scale it back. Keep your mouth shut. Or maybe you think acceptance will come if you become more and do more. You think, if I can just achieve this, then I'll show them who I truly am. Or you try to blend in. You think if you look and act like everyone else, then it leaves very little room for people to judge you. 
And so you're living your life in mediocrity. Or maybe because you want to be accepted so desperately, you give your heart over to anybody who gives you the time of day only to get rejected because that person was never interested in protecting your heart in the first place. Or maybe you want acceptance so much that the minute you sense that rejection is around the corner, you run. I'll just cut them off altogether. You know what? You don't like me? Don't worry. I don't like you. You can't reject me because I'm going to reject you first. Or maybe you just build up walls. I can't let you in because I can't go through that rejection again. And if I don't get close to you, then I never have to worry about feeling rejected again. Or maybe you're not quite sure to, what to do with all of the pain. And so you stuff. And you've been stuffing for years to the point where it's now boiling over in, on, boiling over in anger onto everyone you love. And now you have anger issues that run so deep that you don't even realize that rejection is the root of it all. Or you cover it up. You cover up that pain of rejection with drinking and drugs, food, busyness. You drown yourself in your work so you don't ever have to feel that pain because you've realized if I numb myself, then not only do I have to not think about it, but then I'll never have to deal with it again. This is what we do. This is what I do in the face of rejection. This is what I see the world doing. Because rejection hurts. And all we want is to be accepted. And so we change. We change who we are. We change our course. We retaliate in anger or we simply stop doing what we were going to do with the goal to never, ever feel that pain again. But when I look at Jesus who is fully God and fully man, one who was like his brothers in every respect, and one who also wants to be loved and accepted and known just like you and me. I have to pick up my jaw off the floor when I read how he responds to this level of rejection that he endured. In Luke 23, 34, this is how he responds. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Wait, what? Forgiveness? That was definitely not on my list. That was not how I respond to rejection or how I see the world responding to rejection. Forgiveness? Jesus, how is this your response? How did you not change or morph into what everyone else wanted you to be. And not just at your crucifixion, but throughout your entire ministry. Everyone wanted you to change. Even your own people, the Jews, were pretty vocal about the fact that you were not the king or the Messiah that they wanted or expected. And yet you never responded to the rejection in any of these ways that I just described. Yes, you are fully God, but you were also fully man. And so how did you not respond in anger 
How did you not give up on us or cut us off and say, you know what, forget you. You don't want me. I don't want you either. Or did you ever contemplate the idea that if you did change just a little bit into what they wanted you to be, that your earthly ministry could have lasted a little bit longer, which then meant more people could have been reached, which meant more souls could have been saved. I mean, that seems like a pretty reasonable justification for changing. I feel like God could have understood that reason and motive for it all. I know this is how my brain would try to justify denying who I am and what God has called me into, especially if it still had a good outcome. But here's what I know about God. Yes, he wants us to accept him. That's the gospel message right there, isn't it? But he will not change who he is, what his mission is, or what he says is true in order for us to accept him. I'm going to say that again just to let it sink in. He will not change who he is, what his mission is, or what he says is true in order for us to accept him. And he is calling you into that same identity and purpose. That you would not change who you are, or what your mission is, or what he says is true in order for others to accept you. He's calling you to respond differently than you ever have before in the face of rejection. That you would not cower or bend or weaken or sway or change or retaliate in anger or stuff or hide, wall up, cut off, or people please any longer. But instead, you would respond maybe something like this. Like Noah, who chose to build God a boat instead of listening to the naysayers who said he was crazy. You would respond like Moses, who chose to lead a nation out of slavery instead of listening to the whispers in his, voice, in his head that were telling him that God's got the wrong guy for the job. You would respond like David, who stepped up to a giant when everyone was telling him to get back to tending the sheep. You would respond like Mary, who chose to carry the Messiah even though it meant she was also choosing to step into judgment, gossip, rumors, critique, and rejection because there was no way people were going to think she was carrying the Son of God. Because if you don't respond like this, and you respond to rejection in favor of what others want or what the enemy wants, then what you're actually doing is you are elevating the opinion and the approval of others over the voice of truth and who God says you are. You are caring and worrying more about what people think of you than what God thinks of you. Your thoughts are consumed with the whispers from the enemy and you're believing them. You listen, you're listening to Satan's voice over God's voice and it has become an idol in your life. It's an idol because it's dictating your path. It's dictating how you're thinking about yourself, the friends that you're choosing, the biblical truths that you're bending, the compromises to sin that you're justifying, and God hates it. 
He hates it because you're listening to Satan's voice over his voice. I remember the first time I read this verse, 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I struggled with that one. God, these two things don't really line up for me. I want to live a godly life in Christ, but what you're telling me is that people will not like me. I will not be accepted. I will face critique and judgment. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I can be the exception. Maybe I can live a godly life in Christ and still have everyone love and accept me. And God so kindly says, oh, Holly. <laughs> so what you're saying then is that you think you can achieve something that not, only, that not even Jesus could achieve. Because not even he could achieve that. Because you see, if you please man in his ways, then you will have to reject me. And if you please me, you will have to reject man. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And so you will have to choose. But the deeper issue, Holly, is not that you want both. The deeper issue is why do you believe you need both? Is not my acceptance of you enough? Oh, there it is. The root. The root to that insatiable thirst for more acceptance. Why do I believe I need both acceptance from people and acceptance from man? The truth? The truth is, the reason I feel like I need approval from people is because I don't always feel like what God says about me is true. You say in your word that I'm precious and worthy and valuable, so valuable that Jesus would die for me, but the problem is I don't always feel it. The reason it's easy to agree with the enemy is because I kind of believe him. <laughs> and that feels right. And to agree with what you say about me, that kind of feels wrong. And for years, I listened to the whispers from Satan that told me that I'm not enough and I'm not worthy and I'm not accepted. And people along the way have affirmed that through their actions. And so I listened to this voice for so long that now I believe it. And this is where I look at Noah and Moses and David and Mary and I ask, how did you, how did you do this? How did you get to a, a place where God's acceptance of you was enough? You said yes to him even though it meant that you were choosing to step into a situation where many would not understand, so many would call you crazy. They would laugh at you and judge you and critique you and how did you push through all of that and stay true to the course that God called you to? I, don't, I have no idea their thoughts or what they could possibly could have been going through in their lives to make them choose to live so radically for God's purposes. But when I read in God's word, there's something that stands out to me about each of them, and I, I wonder if you can pinpoint it too. In Genesis 7, 1, it says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. 
Exodus 3, 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming near, he called him by name from the bush. And Moses answered, here I am. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13, then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one, referring to David. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And in Luke 1, 30 through 32, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Looking at these verses, what do they each have in common? God spoke his acceptance over each of them. You are chosen. You are righteous. You are loved. I know you by name. You are approved by me. His voice into their life and into their situation was enough to squash any lie from the enemy that had ever crept into their lives to make them doubt their worth. And through that acceptance, listen to this, through that acceptance, their goal was no longer to gain acceptance because they already had it. Instead, they could live their lives from a place of that acceptance and step boldly into this calling that God called them to, no matter how ridiculous the call was. So how do we know that we're fully accepted by God like this? If you are a believer of Jesus Christ and you follow him, you already know. God sent his son to die for you. I don't know about you, but there's no one in this world I would give my child up for. I don't know any act of love greater in proving your worth and value than this. You are acceptable to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The problem is we don't live our lives in this truth because we don't always feel like God accepts us. We don't feel lovable, worthy, valuable because we live in a fallen world where the enemy is constantly trying to make us doubt our identity in him. But just because you feel something doesn't make it true. Amen? Just because you feel something doesn't make it true. About six weeks ago, my family and I were vacationing at a beach house in St. Augustine, Florida, and um, the house we were staying at had a pool and also had a walkway out to the ocean, and so we were back and forth swimming in the ocean and swimming in the pool, and of course, talk came up of sharks, right? So my youngest daughter, Brinley, who's six, she refused to swim in the ocean. And she asked me several times if there were any sharks in the pool, and I assured her that it was impossible for sharks to live in the pool, Then throughout the week, even with this truth, I would watch her swim in the pool and then out of nowhere, I could see this fear overtake her. She would start frantically swimming to the edge of the pool and I would say, Brinley, what is the matter? And she said, I feel like there's a shark in the water. And I said, Brinley, I already told you that it's impossible for sharks to live in the water. And she said, I know, but I feel like there's a shark in the water. 
Brinley, just because you feel like there's a shark in the water doesn't mean it's true. I don't know how else to prove this to you. I mean, we're swimming in the water, and we're not getting eaten alive. You can clearly see that there's no sharks here. I've already told you it's impossible, and you still don't believe my truth. The only thing left to do is for you to change what you believe to be true. Focus on the truth instead of that lie, because it's going to hold you back from experiencing the joy and freedom from swimming in these shark-free waters. See where I'm going with this? If you believe that you're not acceptable, the only thing left in the equation is that you have to make a choice to change what you believe to be true. Start elevating his voice of truth over the voice of others and the voice of the enemy, even if you don't believe them just yet. Speak God's truth out loud over your life with time and practice and repetition. Eventually, your heart will catch up to what your words are saying, and you will begin to see yourself the way that God sees you, fully loved and fully accepted. And you need to repent. You have an idol in your life. You have elevated and believed Satan's voice over God's voice. And it's time to knock it down, turn away, and never look back. And then have grace with yourself. You've been believing these lies for years and maybe even decades, and undoing that might take you just as long. And so what I'm suggesting is not a one-day thing, but a completely new way of thinking about yourself for the rest of your life. A journey towards renewing your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And our minds are transformed by hearing his voice. That is how our minds change. Replacing the enemy's voice with his voice. And so you have to spend time with him. You have to spend time in his word. You have to know his truth because it is his truth that slashes those lies from the enemy. It's why they call it a sword. It's how we fight. And when you hear his voice, when the creator of the world, the one who spoke life into existence, with just a voice, he told the waters to cover the earth and the stars to fill the sky. When he takes a moment and he speaks to you, it reminds you just how worthy and valuable you are. He reminds you that there's no sharks in the pool, that you can live freely without fear or worry about being accepted by others because you're fully accepted by him. And once this acceptance starts to sink in and you grasp just how accepted you are by the one who matters the most, the next time you experience rejection, because you will, don't respond anymore like a person who isn't accepted. Instead, respond like one who knows and believes that acceptance has already been received. And Jesus shows us exactly how we do that. In Matthew 5:44, it says, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's exactly what he did while he was hanging on the cross after all those people were rejecting him. Pray and forgive. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus knew how accepted he was by God, and that's why he didn't get down from the cross. That's why he didn't end his ministry just just to please man and because everyone wanted him to. That's why he didn't change his course. He didn't need their acceptance because he already knew he was fully accepted by God. And so what else is there to do than forgive? So forgive your parent for not being there. Forgive that friend whose words cut like a knife. Forgive your spouse who has left you wounded. Forgive the person who doesn't approve of you, is judging you, critiquing you, gossiping about you. Because here's the truth that has helped me renew my mind. I refuse to look to others what I have already found in the Lord. I will not strive to be accepted by man when I know that God has already fully accepted me. Could you imagine the transformation that we would ignite in our lives and in this community if we chose forgiveness instead of retaliating with anger or gossip or walls being built up instead of stuffing and holding on to the pain? I know one thing for sure. This community Alma, we would be stepping boldly into the calling that God has for us, living our lives to the fullest in the center of his will. If you are not a believer of Jesus Christ, I just want to speak over you today. Because even though you don't believe in and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God still loves and accepts you just as you are. He just wants you to accept him just as he is. He wants you to stop listening to the lies of the enemy and step into your identity as his beloved child and begin listening to what he says about you and how worthy and valuable you are because you are his child. And if you're ready to accept him today, Would you please come talk to me or a pastor or anyone out at the Connect Center? Or if you're online, would you please type into the chat? We would love to come alongside you as you begin your journey with Jesus. Church, who does God say you are? Hello, my name is Holly, and I'm accepted by God. Would you stand and let's close today declaring the truth of who God says you are through the blood of Jesus Christ.